are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt, coming to you on July 27th of 2021. Man, this is going to be a crazy episode. We got the trade deadline already kicking off. I mean, I think we're going to talk about six or seven trades that have already happened. Um, and then we're looking forward to a bunch of other rumors already starting. Um, but before we get into all that, how you doing, Matt? Doing pretty good. Uh, just hanging out. Uh, sorry we missed the episode last week. We were both busy last week, and uh, you know we were saving up all our uh, energy for this big, uh, big trade deadline week. It's going to be a big week and uh, a lot of excitement around Major League Baseball trade deadline, and you know where some star players might go. I think we might have a real active deadline this year, so. Yeah, I mean it's already starting. I mean, it's we've had to trade in what four straight days or something like that. Or? So, and, and you know, definitely also guys that are all star. At least I think we've had two all stars from this year move so far. Yeah, already. So, and I think a couple more guys who have been moved were are former all stars. So, absolutely. Well, uh, we did have one talking point that we wanted to jump to just before uh, we get into all the trades, and that's with the Olympics starting this week. Um, you know, baseball is back in the Olympics now and the potential about going forward and they'll be building in a, an extended break, maybe around the all-star break or, or, or something that, so that we can have the MLB players go over and represent their home countries and play in the uh, Olympic games. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to bring it up here at the start of the show. Um, you know, I've been watching some of the Olympic events and stuff, and there's some sports outside of the, the U.S. that are played real heavily that here aren't really a big thing. One of them that comes to mind is, like, team handball. It's not really played in the U.S., but, you know, it's, like, a big thing over in Europe. And a worldwide stage like the Olympics brings stuff like that out where, you know, that'll be on TV some. We'll see it. And I feel like that would be a cool thing for, for baseball to, to really be mainstream in the Olympics. It's back in the in the event this year for the first time since 2008, but it's not being showcased very well because the, most of the players are, are obviously playing in the big leagues right now. So the big leagues, they decided to not take a break for the Olympics. And so all the players aren't allowed to play in it. Um, so you're, you've got a combination of some AAA or, or minor league players. A few of them are prospects. I know uh, one that comes to mind is Shane Baz from the uh, Tampa Bay Rays prospect that was in that uh uh, Tyler Glass now trade a couple years ago, um, and then you, you got a few of the a few veteran players that are free agents. You got Matt Kemp uh, was talked about going to play there, but I don't think he ended up no uh, being on the roster. Todd Frazier is one that's on the roster though, so there's a couple guys who are former big league. Scott Casimir is on the on the roster. Edwin uh, Jackson. Couple, Edwin Jackson's on the roster. So a few guys who are former big leaguers. Um, who are either free agents and a few of them being in triple A. I know Anthony ghost is another former big leaguer that's on the roster. He's in triple a. Uh, so it's really unfortunate to me that we're not able to showcase the, the, the best in the world. And I think it's, it would be really great if we had a world baseball classic type event, because that event, when it happens, it's really, really entertaining. There's a lot of really good competition. You've got, you know, the U S is always good. The Dominican's always good. You've got the uh, you've got the, the Puerto Rico. I don't I don't know if Puerto Rico's got their own 
Olympic team because uh, obviously been a U.S. territory, but they're they're always good in the World Baseball Classic. Venezuela would be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at Japan, at, you know, put Shohei Otani in there, yeah. uh, representing his home country. That would be so cool if he was representing his home country. And obviously, there's no fans in the Olympics over in Japan because they're still dealing with, you know, a lot of the restrictions from the pandemic. But um, you know, I think that would be some really cool stuff to see some of the star players of the, of the, you know, be able to be showcased on a worldwide stage. And, and for, it would help in my opinion with some, you know, baseball becoming bigger in Europe or, or something, because I think that's a, that would be a big deal for, for baseball to get bigger in Europe. It's already a worldwide sport. It's big in parts of South central and South America. It's big, obviously in North America, the Caribbean, it's big over in Asia, you know, at least in, in Japan, Korea, um, Taiwan, it's, it's all big, big all over there, but it's, it's still, you know, not real big in Europe. And I think for it to become a worldwide mainstream sport, you want to reach out to that group. Uh, and, you know, it not being in the Olympic and it being back in the Olympics, Olympics is going to help that. But I think Major League Baseball, while they don't want to take a break in the middle of the season because of revenue for revenue purposes, um, you know, they t- already take a break with the all-star break. So why not extend the all-star break an extra week to include the Olympics in it? I mean, I think that would be something that, um, you know, would be very beneficial to the sport long-term and really to help make baseball, which it, it could, could potentially be the second most popular sport in the world behind soccer. If you did that, because I mean, I really think that it would take off in Europe if, if it was actually showcased to them a little bit more than it is. So I think it's, it would be very wise for them for, for obviously this year, the pandemic year, it's the first time it's been back in the Olympics. So, you know, there's definitely some things that, you know, it might you give them a little bit of a pass this time. But I think in 2024, when the Olympics are back, they'll be in Paris in 2024. I think you want to try to figure something out where you allow the, the players to go play and, and compete and showcase their skills to the world. Because I think it'll be a lot cooler to watch you know, Shohei Otani at his home country throwing 100 miles an hour to, you know, and watch, you know, Mike Trout, who I guess probably wouldn't be playing, but hit a full 500-foot home run than it would be to watch Scott Kazmier, who's 37 years old and in AAA, throw to a minor leaguer from somewhere. And so um, I think that would be very beneficial to the sport to, to figure out a way to, to take a break and, and allow some of the major league players uh, the ability to, to play in to play in um, the Olympics. So, yeah, and maybe not in 2024, like you're saying, but maybe 2028 when the Olympics are, you know, like Los Angeles and stuff, that they wouldn't even have to travel, you yeah. know, really around the world. They can just stay in country, and maybe you you work something out around that point. But it's a very good point. I mean, other sports like hockey, they do it. They pretty much build in a thing that you know the players can go play with their you know, their home countries for the Olympics. So it's definitely something that it could possibly come to, you know, major leagues within, I wouldn't say 2024, but probably 2028. If they were serious about looking into that and if, if enough people wanted to, to do it, you know, they, you've seen a bunch of the MLB players, they take a lot of pride in the world baseball classic and, you know, they try and load up all their teams and everybody, all the big stars try and play for their home countries at that point. I don't know what would be so much different about the Olympics and why they wouldn't want to. I think it's just nobody really has tried because it's in the middle of the baseball season every year. So, or, you know, now that it's back, but yeah. And, and you, 
it's another thing where like I, I do get the one thing that I get about it is if you're in a in the middle of the season, you know, shutting down pitchers for two weeks, I, I, I get it. But, you know, at the same time, you're shutting them down for one week already with the all star break. And if the pitchers are smart, they'll go to, you know, they'll go to the to the uh, they'll go throw during the break. They'll go to the they'll go have a live batting practice at the string training facility or something like I mean. You can keep your you can keep yourself in game shape for two weeks. You see it all the time, and in, in, in fact, it might even help because it gives some players the, a little bit of extra rest. Um, but I did see an article on CBSSports.com. I forgot who wrote it, but they did a little bit of an interview with Bryce Harper, and he was talking about how cool it would be to be able to represent the U.S. on the Olympic stage, and that you know it was a shame that that, that they that Major League Baseball didn't support that at the at the current moment. He, you know, so I think that there's definitely some star players out there who obviously would love to go play on that stage. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I don't think you could do it where, it, you know, I know sometimes when they have interna- international competitions in soccer, I believe they basically take uh, some of the players off the team and go play for their national teams and they keep playing games. You wouldn't do that with baseball, but you know, you could take an extra week break around the All-Star break. Maybe move the All-Star game back to the middle of August for, for an Olympic year and take an extra week from it to, to allow these guys to go to go participate in that special event. So, um, but rant on that is over. Um, you know, I wish it was – I wish that was the case, though, because I, I really do think that could open the eyes to new fans in other countries that, you know, I think the more you grow the game worldwide, the better for, for baseball. Yeah, it, it is. It it's definitely a good thing if they were able to do that. But I mean, I'm just happy that baseball's back in the Olympics to begin with. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, I, I it was one of the, my favorite sports to watch at the time, and you know, most mostly because the United States would usually dominate it every year. But still, it, it's definitely good for the sport that's back in. And if they can help grow the game by putting their stars, you know, in the Olympics, then I mean, more power to them. Oh yeah, but. We probably spent way too much time on that than we really wanted to, but it's uh, it's some good points. But let's jump over to all these trades that we've had happen so far. Um, so we're going to jump back to July 15th was the first one that we had, um, and that's when the Braves acquired outfielder Jock Peterson from the Chicago Cubs for first base prospect Bryce Ball. Yeah, so um, I'll have a lot to say about this, but I'm not going to say a ton. Because, <laughs> um, but Jock Peterson is, um, you know, he is what he is. He's he's good hitter against right-handers for his career um he actually has hit good against lefties since he got to atlanta uh, that probably won't last very long but he's he's shown some ability he's cut down his swing a little bit made a lot better contact against lefties um he's um you know he's gonna have a pretty good on base percentage um he's gonna pop some home runs the average isn't really gonna be there um he's gonna play a slightly below average outfield um you know, so with with the Ronald Acuna Jr. injury right before the All Star break, the Braves went ahead and grabbed him to go start right field every day, uh, so that they could you know at least try to find some production back. For the past month or so, the Braves have been starting um, Guillermo Heredia, Orlando Arcia, and Abraham Almonte in the outfield, so that has not gone very well. And Jock Peterson's at least a veteran player who has the potential to pop some home runs every now and then, but. Um, the Cubs got back a first base prospect in Bryce Ball, who has really big raw power, but has really struggled. And he's a 24 year old or 23 year old in low A, 
that's really struggled this year. So uh, I don't think many Braves people expected him to ever contribute at the big league level. Now there is enough talent there to where he's got a tool that that's pretty coveted that, you know, maybe if he improves a lot on some things, he could eventually make it. It's not like he's a nobody prospect, but uh, he's definitely not a guy I would expect to, to really become a, you know, a, a good big league player. So, but he is, um, you know, he's better than he's, he's probably what you would get for Jock Peterson. So, yeah. And like you said, he, he, for a, a rental, a guy who has a really good tool, that's really struggled and that you never really expected to, you know, contribute at a major league level for your team. I mean, it, it's not a terrible trade. You're trying to hit a lottery ticket anyways on, on rental guys. Most of the time, um, especially, you know, not type top level rental guys, like maybe a Max Scherzer, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but for a guy like Jock Peterson, trading a guy who has a huge raw power but has really struggled, I mean, he goes in and he's the 20th ranked prospect in the Cubs system. I mean, I think he was, what, 10th or 11th in the Braves at the time. I don't think he was that high. Was he? I don't think so. I don't know. I thought Maybe. we were talking about it in the chat. He was somewhere he, up there. But... He was rated higher last year because as a – Maybe that's what in, it was. In 2019, he was good – but he was playing in rookie ball as a 21-year-old, and he absolutely crushed the baseball. But, you know, he missed a year. And then this year, it, he's been very, very not good. And, uh, you know, he's a 23-year-old in A-ball, and you right. kind of worry about I mean, at a certain point, like, he's probably at least two years from the big leagues if he figures it out, turns it around right now. But, you know, 30%-plus strikeout rate in A-ball as a 23-year-old in a sub-700 OPS. I mean, he's... He's really struggled yeah. this year. It's but, um, it's the prototypical but, lottery ticket oh, yeah. type guy. That's, yeah, and, you, and you, that's you never know with him though. Like like you say, because you know he does have that raw power. But, yeah. Um, but anyways, another trade the Braves made this week. Uh, just real quick, uh, don't want to talk about it too much. They did get Stephen Vogt from the Diamondbacks. They've struggled a catcher since with Darno out. Who Darno is actually starting a rehab assignment on Friday, so um, that he might be back as soon as next week. But uh, Stephen Vogt got moved to the Braves for a, another first base prospect that was in rookie ball that nobody really thinks of as a really a big prospect, but, um, but votes now a brave and not a diamond back. So a little more, that's, that's a game changer. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, I would say our first real blockbuster trade that we had to happen was, um, Nelson Cruz got traded from the Minnesota twins to the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, it was Nelson Cruz and Calvin voucher. Uh, for Joe Ryan and Drew Strotman. Yeah, so uh, Nelson Cruz, um, obviously he's a veteran. He's he's old, um, so he's got a um, you know, but he's good still. He's he's hitting two ninety four, three seventy, five thirty seven with nineteen home runs. That was before the trade, which I think he's already hit a couple home runs for the Rays. Yeah, um, and then um, so they got him for. Uh, for a, cu- a couple guys that they got, they got back. Uh, the, the twins got back. Joe Ryan. I was looking at his page earlier. He, he's a, he's pretty old for his level. Uh, he's 25. He's, he's in AAA, um, but he has been really good. He has elite numbers of strikeouts and walks. Um, he's got a good command and he, he strikes out a ton of guys. But he does have trouble with the home run ball. Um, so. But he's he's definitely a high high level performer from Tampa system, and then 
Um, you know, Stropman's another guy who has been pretty good at AAA, posting a 339 ERA this year. A um, couple of guys who are maybe swingmen at the big league level, but uh, definitely interesting players, especially, you know, when you look at Tampa's pitching development um, and how well they've done with that in the past. Yeah, and, and Nelson Cruz coming over to the Tampa Bay Rays, that's kind of the big bat that we all kind of felt that they really needed to solidify themselves. Uh, I mean, they're in talks about acquiring, you know, some starting pitching to help now with Glass now out, but it's a big pickup for the for the Rays, even on a rental too. I mean, they were they were in talks with him on the offseason too, and he decided to go back to Minnesota um, rather than going to Tampa. But I mean I mean I can't speak how much of an impact I think that's going to make for Tampa's offense. I mean, it's a game changer for them that I think they've really lacked at times. You know, Rosarena tried to carry them through the playoffs a lot last year, but they really relied on that pitching. And if you can get, you know, really good production and a good clubhouse guy like Nelson Cruz into that into that clubhouse and, and maybe teach these younger guys something, that could be that could be big for the Rays. And, and trading two guys, like you said, their their pitching system is so deep and they're really good at it. Trading two guys who are you know, possibly swingmen or back into the rotation type arms for that. It's it seems like a win-win deal for both sides. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I definitely like the trade on both both ends. Uh, the Rays needed another bat, and uh, the Twins got some pretty good guys in return for a forty-year-old who's rental. So, yeah. Speaking of forty-year-olds being traded, the next one trade we had happen was Rich Hill got traded from the Tampa Bay Rays actually to the New York Mets um, for relief pitcher Tommy Hunter and low prospect Matt Dyer. Yeah, so uh, first off, Tommy Hunter, um, you know, he's a veteran pitcher, been around a long time, uh, been with the Phillies the last couple years. He was with the Mets this year, of course. Um, you know, he's been okay. Um, you know, with the Phillies, uh, he was, you know, pretty meh around a four ERA. Uh, in fact, his career around a four ERA. He's he's had a few good years at the big league level. Um, you know, he's just kind of a depth piece in the in the bullpen. Um, I, I don't really expect him to develop into too much, um, but he's he maybe a guy the Rays look at his some of the st- some of the stuff there as being better than you know he's performed this year. But um, I think he's also out at, for the year. Is he really? Yeah, I think Tommy um, Hunter is actually out for the rest of the year. He might be. He hadn't pitched very many innings, so, so it's possible. But uh, yeah, look at uh, Matt Dyer as a guy who really, I mean, a low A prospect, that catcher. I mean, he's 23 in low A. He's um, got some power, but he really hadn't done much. There's not very much on him as a scouting report goes. And um, I thought this was an interesting deal. It might be a little bit of a move to – try to clear a little bit of money um, yeah. because, you know, the Rays are obviously very conscious of their uh, their payroll and, you know, maybe clearing out money. I, I don't really understand trading Rich Hill um, for them, but obviously for the Mets picking up a starter with the guys that they have injured. I mean, the Mets injured list is probably the best rotation in the National League. So um, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. insane. I mean, DeGrom, Carrasco, and Syndergaard – all on the injured list right now so uh pretty pretty crazy there but um he uh okay it says here hunter is supposed to come back this season is he okay yes um, i saw something that they were 
potentially talking about he might be out, but yeah, he might be. Um, he hopes to return. Is what yeah, that's what they're saying. But well, I mean, like, and you were talking about the pickup for for the Mets and the Rich Hill thing, uh, Rich Hill trade. He's a he's a solid guy. He can get in. He's not going to go deep into games. He's going to go five innings most of the time, maybe even less. And you know, you're going to get him out of there. the The good thing about Rich Hill is that he's an odd he's an odd character first of all but he's a guy who throws his curveball just about as much as his fastball so he's only a fastball curveball guy so he throws his fastball 46 percent of the time and the curveball 43 percent of the time but he he throws like four different curveballs but when like you said their, their rotation on the il is probably the best one so when all those guys come back rich hill's easy enough to slide to the bullpen and be a two-pitch pitcher out of the bullpen so if you need to swing man you know, in one of those playoff games, we always see starters getting pulled early. He's yeah. a guy who could come in and, you know, if you pull a starter in the third inning, he can eat you up three more innings and get you to the sixth where you can use your high leverage guys, you know, for the rest of the time. And he'll he'll eat you some solid innings right now while those guys are out. He won't pitch too terribly. I mean, a 395 ERA this year, and he still strikes out a decent amount. His blocks can be at times, and it's just all about if you can keep him healthy. I mean, he he deals with blisters and some arm issues because he throws that curveball so much. But if you're not pitching him too much and you're just kind of letting him, you know, do those four or five innings, get out of there, and then you move him to the bullpen, maybe pitch him every three or four days for an inning or two. Um, it, it could be a really solid deal for you know not giving up too much and and not really taking on too much more of that contract. Yeah, I I agree. I mean. I think the the one thing about um, the Mets is that obviously Sandergaard's probably not coming back this year, and you look at Carrasco and you have no idea what he's going to give you after the injuries he's been through and you know the setbacks he's had in rehab. He might pitch a few. I think he's supposed to actually come back this week, but um, the the pitching, you know, he could pitch uh, two weeks and then get hurt again, or he could be ineffective. You just don't know. Um, and then DeGrom has been injured enough to where this year where you, you kind of worry about, especially with a forearm strain, you worry about it a little bit. But, um, you know, they still needed a guy because behind that, you know, I don't know if you can be rely on – I know Tywin Walker's been really good this year so far, but I don't know if you want to rely on him fully. Um, but you've also got David Peterson who's pitched a lot of innings for them this year, and right. he's not very good. So you can always improve off of that. But, and then and they obviously lost. their bullpen as well. You, you can move into the bullpen like you are talking about. So. Right, and then they lost – I mean, Joey Lucchese still too. He, he, they lost him to Tommy John surgery earlier this year. He was expected to be you know that fifth or sixth type starter for them. So yeah. that adds to their injury list pitching staff. Yeah, but, uh, for sure. We'll move on to the next one. I think this is probably the most surprising trade to me that had happened so far. And that was the San Diego Padres acquiring Adam Frazier from the Pittsburgh Pirates for shortstop to Sepia. I, I, I'm going to butcher that name. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to butcher that. Uh, Marcano. I mean, this is the trade for names. Jack Sawinski and Mitchell Milano. Yep. So, um, the, the Pirates guys that they got or, or the, the, the got back from the from this trade were uh, pretty good. Um, the it depends on who you ask, really, because I think the Marcano is rated as high as like number five. Was rated as high as number five in the in the Pirate. I mean, in the Padres system, or and 
he was also rated as low as like 30 by some services. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of um, he's he's supposedly the prize of this, and, and there's a lot of um, um, there's a lot of variation on, on how how good he is. Um, you look at his um, you know his he's he's very fast. He, he's got good speed, um, and his plate discipline numbers are really good. Um, you know, under 10% strikeout rates through 2019 in the minors. And then in 2021 in 21 or in 44 games at triple a before getting a call up to the big leagues, he was hit, He had a 13% strikeout rate. So this is a guy who doesn't hit for a lot of power. He did hit six home runs this year. So maybe, you know, showing a little bit more pop than he, he had only hit three in his entire career until this year. He's hit six this year. So, um, you look at, uh, maybe, um, you look at maybe uh, a guy who a little bit in the way of like a Jose Ramirez, maybe a guy who's kind of figuring out how to hit for that power later on, but uh, definitely a guy who's got a good hit tool and a good, and good speed play some shortstop. So, um, you know, that's a good, uh, that's a good guy to get if you're the, if you're the pirates. Yeah. He comes in now. Um, like you said, the, the variation on per fan graphs, he's the pirates 34th ranked prospect now. Yeah. Um, and, you got Milano is a 45 and then, you know, Swinski's 51. Those guys were just kind of the real price here was, was a uh, Marcano Adam Frazier though. It it's weird for the Padres to acquire. I mean, I mean, he's a very good player leads the national league in hits right now. Maybe even leads the majors in hits. I'm not quite sure, but he's primarily been a second baseman. I mean, he can play all over. He can be a utility guy. But it was just kind of odd to see that you know they had traded for him when they have guys like Jake Cronenworth who are going to play everyday second baseman. I guess the plan is to use Frazier as a an all around utility guy. But I feel like the Padres already had a lot of those guys. I mean, Frazier's better than you know Drew Rickson Profar or Jorge Mateo or even Hassan Kim at this point. But it was really weird for them to trade him. But he's a he's a good player, more contact guy. I mean, he's batting three twenty four. He has four homers this year, but he. You know, a 388 on base percentage is, is really good. His career numbers are 346. So, I mean, he's definitely having a career year, a 130 WRC plus, where his career is a 105. But he's a guy I feel like has been kind of figuring out how to hit and, and not worrying about the power too much. Going to a team like San Diego, where they already have so many people that are power and just being another one of those grinders that they can grind at bats and just be pesky like the, the Padres lineup really is. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a really solid trade. It's going to be interesting to see how they they figure out how to fit you know all these players in the lineup because, I mean, they have I mean, depth's gonna depth's gonna win you win you games, but I feel like they have ten or eleven guys that could be starters on pretty much any other team. Yeah, and uh, you look at Adam Frazier as a guy who I, I think you hit it pretty well. Uh, the one thing that I think is um, you know probably held his um, held his value down a little bit is his 359 batting average on balls in play this year because his career average is around uh, 314. But, you know, in the past four years, which it's only four full, full seasons of the big leagues, his numbers are around 300 on his Babbitt. So, um, you know, he's probably not a 324 hitter, although he's made improvements. He doesn't hit the ball particularly hard. Um, he's a guy who the, uh, Babbitt's going to fluctuate a lot just because there's a lot of balls in play. So he could have a little bit of a lucky year and hit 320, or he could have a little bit of an unlucky year like last year and hit 
230. So you just don't know with him. But uh, he can play a pretty good defense, and um, he's a solid player. He's, he's I think he's a, a solid everyday player. I don't think he's quite like a perennial all-star type guy or a guy who, you know, is really more than – I mean, he's an all-star this year, but I, I don't think he's a guy who's really going to be an all-star too many times in his career. But uh, he's a solid player, and uh, he's under control, I believe, through 2020 – I think he's a free agent in 2023, so he's under control another yeah. year. Um, so he can play a little bit of – he's played second base most of the time, but he can also play a little bit of outfield. Um, you know, I definitely think this is a solid move for the um, – for the for the uh, Tampa Bay, I mean for the uh, San Diego Padres, uh, to go get a guy like this. Yeah, and it, it, it like I said, it's going to be interesting, especially with that control, because like I mentioned, you do have a Jake Cronenworth, you do have Hassan Kim that you just brought over, um, that you know you had high hopes for. Maybe maybe Cronenworth moves to more of a first base role if you decide to move Eric Cosmer, which there's been rumors about potentially that being a thing. I mean that contract's going to be hard to move off of, but. I mean, maybe that is a thing, and you look at maybe giving Frazier more of the run at second, and then using, you know, Cronenworth at first or something. But yeah, that that control it is very. That's what kind of what made it more interesting. I could see if this was a rental type player, but that control for the Padres is going to make it really interesting to see what they are going to do. Um, and don't count them out of maybe flipping somebody else that in a bigger trade. I mean, AJ Preller, who knows what that guy's doing? Yeah. So, and you also look at this as you know the Padres have made a a pattern out of trading for guys with control. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at they've traded for Blake Snell with a couple years of control. You Darvish has a couple years of control. Clevenger. You look at a Clevenger. Nola. I mean, uh, yeah, Austin Nola. Yeah, I mean they play trade for guys most of the time with some control. They don't want them there just for the, you know, part of the year. So, um, I think that's definitely a pattern with, with them. And they're really the only team in the big leagues that's really pulled that off very often. So uh, definitely interesting. Um, but uh, let's move on to our, uh, our next one here. Um, and um, I believe we we're going to talk about Andrew Chafin, yep. um, which this trade I absolutely love for the Cubs. Yeah, I do too. So what, what the trade is, the Oakland A's acquire left-handed reliever Andrew Chafin for outfielder Greg Diekman. I'm, I'm assuming that's how you say it, or Dykeman. Dykeman. Dykeman or Diekman. Yeah, or... And then uh, right-handed pitcher Daniel Palencia. So it, I think we were looking last night. Uh, Dykeman is the eighth-rated prospect, at least in Oakland system, and Palencia was the twelfth-rated at the time. Yeah. So um, you look at Dykeman as a guy who I, I like this because he's a guy that has uh, reports say seventy-grade raw power. I mean, he's a guy that's got great raw power, but he hasn't shown it tons in games. What he has shown in games is the ability to draw walks and to make pretty good contact for a, for a guy of his profile. What he can do is if he can fit, figure out a way to lift the ball a little bit more, that raw power can start to show off in games. If he starts showing off raw power in games with his walk rate and his ability to – it appears to limit strikeouts to a certain level for, for a guy of his profile, um, he could end up being a pretty solid big league player. He is a first base only type. Um, but he's a guy who I think could definitely end up being a, a, a solid hitter. Of course, Oakland, he, he's pretty, you know, he could be moved because of the ability to, you know, they have Matt Olson there. So there's not really much they're going to do with him unless he DHs, which, you know, there's usually ways you can find DHs for, for a lot, you know, and not, you know, waste the player like Diekman. So, um, 
Palencia is a guy. Apparently, I don't know too much about him, but he uh, he throws hard. Uh, apparently, so um, you know maybe a reliever in the future. But uh, yeah. you look at Chafin. Chafin's a really solid left-handed reliever. He's been really good for the Cubs this year. Um, he's been good in his career uh, for the most part. He's kind of funky, uh, but he's a guy who I, I'm really surprised that the Cubs got this return for Andrew Chafin. I really am. Yeah, and so I'll talk a little bit more on Palencia because I just I looked him up a little bit last night as um, after this trade happened. Big fastball, throws ninety seven and ninety nine. Um, they ha- said he's touched a hundred a couple times. Curveball is still really good as well. Um, his main his main struggle is command. He really struggles with command. I mean, his his grade is right now a thirty, and his future value is uh, on command is a forty five. So he's a future value forty. Uh, 40 overall on the 2080 scale. Um, not Rule 5 eligible for until December of 2024, so he's got three or three more seasons or so. 21-year-old A-ball, so like you said, it, it, he's kind of getting up there to that point where he needs to start progressing up the ladder. Um, but he was just drafted, um, I believe, last year because this is his first yeah. pro season. Yeah, I um, think he, So yeah. it doesn't say exactly when he was drafted on here, but this is his fro- first pro season that has any – any uh, stats to it, you know, and eight eight seventy nine Ks per nine or eight point seven nine Ks per nine, but three point seven seven walks per nine and a one point eight eight hit uh, homers per nine. So it runs an extremely high BABIP. I mean, it's only been fourteen innings, so it's really a small sample size, and that was all as a starter. But uh, definitely a future bullpen arm. Uh, yeah, but, he, okay. yeah, his 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 home run. He gives up a lot of home yeah. runs. His command's obviously just not there yet, but this is a guy you're not really looking at his stats too much. I Correct. think you're looking more at, you know, the fact that he throws hard. He's he got, throws hard and has he's a got some ball. stuff. You know, he's got a he's got you know, there's there's something there and he's not even the top headliner in the trade for a reliever. So right. you look at a guy who's kind of an interesting for a throw in. Uh, but then, you know, obviously Deekman being the, the big big piece there and um, Especially for a rental reliever. Yeah. Um, and this news, this news happened last night. And what also is big about this is Chafin was looked at as probably the second best left-handed reliever on the market behind Taylor Rogers. I mean, depending on how Brad hand you feel about Brad hand, but Rogers left with an injury last night from his, his, uh, his game and went on the IL today with left uh, finger sprain. I don't know exactly which finger it was, but that severely lowers the probability of him being traded this offseason because he's got or traded this year because he's got control through next season so you can possibly get him in the offseason so chafin could have been the or could be the best left-handed reliever traded at the deadline um and for this kind of a prospect even as a rental or this kind of prospect you know capital as a rental player i mean this could be a very good move for by the a's because you know had chafin been the the top left-handed reliever you know, today he might have got a bigger deal or a bigger haul than what they uh, what they ended up trading for him. Yeah, no doubt. I, I definitely think it's interesting um, that that he you know timing works out like that at the you know at this level. So um, you never know. You know, you might have an injury. In fact, today there's talk about um, you know uh, Trey Turner having left the game and they weren't sure why and. Turns out he has COVID or something. I think yeah. someone said so. Yeah. Um, it's like you, it's, it's a wild time of year, and timing is everything because you never know when a guy might go down, and then uh, you know somebody else becomes really valuable all of a sudden. So 
Yeah, if you if you have MLB teams, if you have anybody potentially being traded, do not play them. Just let them sit out or something. Yeah. I mean, the Nationals are doing that. They're not going to start Strasburg now, or not Strasburg. Speaking of Strasburg, he's out for the year now. Yeah, you're not going to have a hard time getting trading Strasburg if you want to. Yeah, you're not. History and uh, contract. I meant to say Scherzer. They're not yeah. going to pitch Scherzer on Thursday now. Hey, that was the plan, and they've pretty much already said that they don't want to do that. Um, so that I mean, that's just a potential thing. Like the Cubs, you should sit Chris Bryant at this point. Because it he's gonna be gone. Don't pitch Craig Kimbrell again. Like, just get the trades done with. Um, but that le- will lead into the next one. We had one trade, one more trade happened, and that actually happened just a couple hours ago. Um, and that was the Astros acquired relief pitcher Kendall Graveman and relief pitcher Rafael Montero from the Seattle Mariners for third baseman Abraham Toro and relief pitcher Joe Smith. Yeah. So uh, this is a very interesting trade. Um, because this is a, a team that people are kind of thinking the Mariners might buy. They're, they're they've had a they got a good record, uh, and they're a team that you know it's a tough situation for them because they've got a good record, but they're in a good division. You look at their record at fifty five and forty six is really solid, but they're six games behind Houston. Uh, they're a game behind Oakland. They're really they're just a game out of the wild card, I believe. Yeah, one game out of the wild card. So. You know, they've got a chance, but when you look at their talent level on the team, you just don't know about it. And um, this would typically appear to be a trade that a team that wasn't contending was going to make. But I think it's interesting because uh, Kendall Graveman is a guy who, if you look at his stats, he's got a .82 ERA on the season. He's been really good for the Mariners, but his peripherals are not near that good. Um, They've still been good. But his, you know, his fit being, you know, almost three, his ex-fit being over three doesn't coincide with the .82 ERA. So he's been good, but not quite that good. Rafael Montero is a guy who was DFA'd. So you're not, you're giving up Kendall Graveman and what you're getting back is the number three prospect for the Astros, but a guy who's been in the big leagues this year. So Abraham Toro has been in the big leagues. He's got good plate discipline numbers with a really low BABIP in the big leagues. So you think that, you know, he might have been bit by a little bit of bad luck this year. And the fact that he's obviously a high-rated prospect, he's under control for a long time, and he was expendable for the Astros because of he's a third baseman and he's playing, you know, behind Bregman and, uh, you know, Correa's on that side of the infield, even though Correa might be gone after the season. Um, it's, it's a situation where I think you're looking at a team that um, – I think you're looking at well, – well, it's probably a win-win trade. So um, – but but Kendall Graveman, um, you know, it's gonna he's gonna help the Astros, no doubt. They did needed a couple they need a couple relievers, um, and then I think Abraham Toro is gonna be a pretty good player for the for the Mariners. And I I definitely am, you know, I'm questioning the Astros moving him for that kind of for that kind of return because I believe uh, Kendall Graveman's also a rental. So you're giving up five years of your number three prospect in your system who's big league ready for a right-handed reliever that's good but not like you know he's not he doesn't have shutdown stuff he's good but he doesn't have shutdown stuff so i I definitely like this trade for the seattle mariners yeah and it's a great trade for the mariners in my eyes i know a lot of there's a lot of speculation that the or talk that the mariners clubhouse wasn't a big fan of this trade but I feel like there's another wrinkle here is is the Seattle Mariners GM Jerry Depoto has been or 
is notorious for being one of the most active general managers in trades, not even just in season, but in the off season. It's it's a game every year of how many trades can we tally that Depoto makes. Um, I believe one year was like 18 trades in the off season or something like something ridiculously stupid, but there could be another wrinkle to this, that Toro could be flipped to another team for something else because uh, Depoto said like in hindsight, this move doesn't look good at face value. But once you see that the other deals that we're working on that we hope to finalize soon, it will make a lot more sense. For a general manager being that wide open and and you know honest with a media outlet or, or you know social media in general, that really it really throws a wrench into this whole thing. Is what for what I think. And there's already, I mean, there's been people coming out, you know, uh, prospect rankers and, and people that know these prospects a lot more than we do, saying that like nerd teams like the Rays, um, the Dodgers at times that are, are that way. Um, the Pirates at some point, they're guys that like Toro a lot. These nerd teams really like Toro. So you could see him flipped for a really good reliever. Maybe even a Craig Kimbrell. I mean, that would be an insane move for the Mariners because he's under contract for another year and you're really hoping to compete next year. But I do think that it maybe has another wrinkle that they could potentially be in play for something a lot bigger by trading Toro. Yeah, so that that's definitely something that I would I would think might be considered here because um, you look at you look at those just what Napoto said. I mean, otherwise, I would think that this would be a good move for the Mariners regardless. They need offense really bad, um, and Toro's a young, controllable offensive player that they can add to their group of young, controllable offensive players like you know. J.P. Crawford or uh, Jared Kellenick, who had had the best big league debut, but he's still a highly thought of prospect. You've got some guys like that out there already. Uh, Kyle Lewis, who was rookie of the year last year. You could add a guy like Abraham Toro, who's another young, controllable, solid position player. Um, that would be pretty smart. But even if you, you know, if you flip him, you, you could probably definitely make make well in this flipping him too. He's he's a valuable guy right now, so. Uh, I definitely like that, that the move for, for them um, in a vacuum. It's a good move. I don't know if it completely makes sense with the way that they're trying to contend this year. But, um, I mean, if Who you look knows? at yeah, – Yeah, and you, like I say, you never know because Toro had good plate discipline numbers and had a really low BABIP with the Astros. So you would expect his numbers, the way he's hit the ball, to be better than they are. So I definitely, you know, think that this might work out for the Mariners, even if they aren't able to flip Toro like they're talking about. So, um, yeah, and my point is it might even help them. It might be a move to even help them this year. I mean, I I know the Mariners clubhouse didn't seem so happy, but if you go to every one of those people in the clubhouse now, this is complete speculation, by the way. But if you go to every member of that clubhouse and you ask them which reliever or which closing pitcher would you rather have, Kendall Graveman or Craig Kimbrell? Like, Every single one of those people are going to take Craig Kimbrell. So if you yeah. say you flip Toro for that guy, I mean, like I said, complete speculation. There's no definitive here. But don't you think that Mariners Clubhouse kind of bumps up a little bit? Like, oh, hey, wait, we got Craig Kimbrell now, and we're going to have him for next year too. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of times you, you look at trades around the trade deadlines, and, and you know, I think you look at – I think the, the Mariners, it's reactionary. It, yeah. You look at – it's kind of like when a coach gets fired, you know, and, and – 
the players' immediate reaction because they, they like the coach, they're friends with them, they've been around him for so long, typically – you know, if they're just they're just not getting the job done, a lot of times the players' immediate reaction is, "Oh my God, this is horrible. What am I going to do now? This stinks." He was, you know, he's their friends, their families are friends, all that. But you look at, you know, then they hire a new coach, they meet them, and they get to know them. And you know, I think that's that might be a case you look at here. But um, we'll see. Um, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully the uh, the uh, hopefully the the trade works out and. Um, honestly, I hope Abraham Toro stays with the Mariners because, for one thing, I think it helps the Mariners if he does in, in the future. I don't think they're good enough to really contend this year. Um, they might make the playoffs in a wild card scenario or something, but I don't think they're good enough to win when they get there. Um, and then um, you look at uh, Abraham Toro and a guy who I don't, I don't want to see players get traded and flipped immediately and that kind of thing. I think it's bad for the player. Um you know, I, I would much rather see the player, you know, get a new start somewhere and, and stay there for a while. So, um, but we'll see what happens. Um, it'll definitely be interesting to track, cause as we know, uh, the 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 trade deadline. Jerry Depoto is always that active. <laughs> say yeah, the least. always is. Well, let's look at some of the bigger names that we expect to be traded, and maybe some potential landing spots for them. Um, yeah. So. You know, off the top of our head, we can we've talked a lot about Trevor's story already being traded um, throughout the off season and stuff. But where where's a couple spots that you could see Trevor's story really uh, really being an impactful player down the stretch? Well, um, the thing about Trevor's story is that a lot of contending teams already have really good shortstops. Um, you know, you look at you look at the the Dodgers; they got good shortstop. They got a bunch of guys who can play shortstop who are good Seager and they got Chris Taylor I mean he can play shortstop you know you look at the Padres uh, you know they've got a good shortstop at Tatis um, you look at the Giants Brandon Crawford's been so good this year um, I think the Mets could make some sense for him because of Lindor's injury um, but you know it's kind of hard to say for sure um, you, we don't know what the timeline is on Lindor um, you know maybe the Brewers make sense um, they need offense in the worst way. Um, and then you go across to the American League, and, you know, there's several teams that, you know, maybe could make a move for him. But, you know, you look like the Astros, they've already got a guy. Um, you know, the Rays have Wander Franco, Taylor Wall. They got a bunch of guys. Uh, the Red Sox have Bogarts. So, I mean, you're looking at it both, both sides. The White Sox have Tim Anderson. Most of these teams have their shortstop situations pretty well set right now. Um, so I think that. You know, maybe the Mets with with the injury, um, but you know, there's been talk that Trevor Story could maybe take some practice in the outfield or take some practice at second or third base. So you could end up seeing him get moved for something like that. Although I don't really like that because I think Trevor Story is really good at shortstop. So yeah, I don't I don't think so either. And like you said, I mean, we've heard the White Sox, but they have Tim Anderson. Yeah. Um, the Yankees supposedly were looking at him for a center field. Yeah. He is a he is a tough one, and there's even been a little bit of more rumors about him potentially staying put and them giving him the qualifying offer, which I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah. But I mean, there's the more, I mean, the closer we get to this deadline, the the quieter the Trevor Story trade talks have kind of got, and the louder the hey qualifying offer talk has kind of picked up. Yeah, and that's one thing that's interesting because you look at you know 
these players get moved to the deadline and, you know, about to be free agents. And it's interesting is the prospect that you can get from trading him is it probably better than the prospect you can pick in the comp round. Because you're probably getting a top 10 organizational prospect in the comp round of the draft that you would get for the qualifying offer. So are you going to be able to get a guy who's rated like that? And not just that, but you can also take that money that you get from the, that extra money you get from the comp round and add it to your first round signing. So you can sign a guy over slot in the first round that could possibly be like a top 50, top 60 prospect. Um, so that would be very interesting strategy for the, for the Rockies. And uh, I think they would probably prefer to trade him now. But, um, you know, I, I could maybe see where they – bring him into the off season so um and, and get it get try to get that draft pick but uh it'll be interesting to find out um you know he's kind of one of those players that he's had a little bit of a down year this year to, to his standard so uh but we'll see what happens I, th- I do expect him to get moved somewhere but uh it's it, like i say it's kind of hard to say where because yeah. you know most of these teams have shortstops already uh, that are contenders that's that's really the main thing that's going to hurt the rockies with this trade so all right, well, let's jump to the next one, Max Scherzer. Yeah, so Max Scherzer is a guy who uh, has 10-5 rights, so he can pick basically where he wants to go. He can veto trades, and um, that's going to hurt his market if you're the Nationals. I do think the Nationals should move him. Now, whether they do or not, I don't know. But Sounds they should very likely at this point. Yeah, so um, I, I, it's – it's been said that he wants to go to the West Coast somewhere. So you immediately think about the Dodgers with Trevor Bauer out. They could use another starter. Um, you look at the Giants. They could use another starter. Um, the Padres could use – I mean, all the, all the contending teams could use a starter like Max Scherzer. Um, you know, the Mariners actually would make some sense here. Um, you know, maybe they could package uh, – get a package of him and a controllable player. Apparently the Nationals are potentially in line for a fire sell. So, um, you know, it looks like that there may be, they may be able to pick up a, a guy with him. Uh, but we'll see what happens here. Um, you know, I doubt he gets dealt within the division. Um, and obviously he can veto trade, so it really depends on where he wants to go. And then they can try to work out a trade with somebody. It's, you know, if the, if the asking price isn't there, they can just say, well, we're just not going to trade him then. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. There was – yeah, it, it will be interesting. There was a little bit of a talk that – Scherzer might potentially want to work out an extension with the team that he's going to as well, which has led to rumors that they, the nationals kind of wanted to trade him before Friday. Like they wanted to trade him on, you know, Wednesday or or Thursday. That gives a little bit of extra time that they can try and work out an extension. If that is something that he wants to do. Um, But like you said, it sounds like he wants to go to more of the West coast. I I don't think he's going to go to the Mets. Um, The Astros have been in the, in, the talks as well, but I don't think he's going to go there. I think it's going to come down to the Padres, the Dodgers, the Giants, and potentially the Mariners. If that is something that they want to try and go big and, and do a hey, let's let's go for it. But I think it's going to come down to probably one of those three NL West teams and who's going to st- step it up, you know, the most. And I think really it's going to come down to the to the Giants or not the Giants, the Padres and the Dodgers. I don't think the Giants really have the the great prospect capital that they're going to. You know, try course, and make that move. Of course, I don't know if you're going to need a, a super big prospect for that. That is true. Because he's a rental as it is. So, um, you know, you might add him to a, you might sign him 
to extension, but you know he's still a rental because you could just sign him at the end of the season. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, and, and with his ability to pick where he wants to go, you basically tell the you ba- basically what you have to do is you have to beat whatever the the Nationals think they can get for the qualifying offer. Correct. So uh, that's basically what you're going to have to do because it's not like he's going to have a bidding war since he gets to pick. So um, that'll be interesting to see what happens with Max Scherzer. But a um, couple more guys that I think are likely to get traded um, are a couple Cubs guys, maybe a bunch of Cubs guys, really. But uh, there could be as many as four or five star players get traded from the Cubs. But uh, you look at uh, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Craig Kimbrell, and Javier Baez, all of them impending free agents, assuming that, or depending on what Kimbrell does with his option. It's a team option. It's a team option, so yeah. But depending on whether you want to pick up a, think fifteen million dollar team option for a reliever, um, so which I think right now would probably be picked up. Yeah, I, the way he's pitching, he's back to, to vintage Craig Kimbrell. I, I I imagine any team that's trading for him yeah. is going to pick that up. Um, I mean, the the point is Kimbrell can go to pretty much anybody. Um, the Red Sox could could use a, a, a end of the you know bullpen type guy the uh, the Padres could I mean you could throw him right back in there those are two of his old teams kind of funny but um the Giants could even um you know they they really could use that dominant closer at the end I mean you could there's been a lot of talk about the Dodgers because of Jansen and Trinan just making like a super bullpen um I mean I don't Kimbrell Kimbrell's a hard one to choose because literally every contender could use a guy like him. Um, and even some of the fringe contenders could use him because you do have that team option. So if you want to pick him up, so a team like the Mariners, if you want to try and make a run this year, but really set yourself up for next year, I mean, Kimbrell can make sense for you. Um, so he's kind of a hard one to narrow down to one specific place. Um, a guy like Bryant, he's also very flexible because he can play so many different positions. He can play center field. He can play left field. He can still play third base. Um, I mean, the Yankees make some sense for him because he can play center field for them. Um, the Giants make sense because he can play a third base and outfield type role. Um, I don't know. I mean, who else is looking for an outfield type? Everybody. I mean, I mean the, the thing is that I think you narrow down for these guys, except with the exception of Kimbrel, teams that are 100% for sure in it this year. Right. Like, I mean, I think because you look at a team like, the Mariners or a team maybe like the Braves or, you know, somebody that's the Indians, maybe some of these teams that are, you know, around 500 within that five games back range. Uh, you look at these, uh, these teams as, as teams that you need to, um, you will need to, uh, you know, you, you would probably not go all in trade anything of, 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 of noteworthy for a rental this year because of just, kind of being on the outside looking in right now if you get hot you can go into the postseason you maybe pick up a guy with some control because you know you can maybe he might be able to help you get there this year but next year would really be when you really use him so i think a, i think a craig kimbrell would make sense for a team like the braves or the or the mariners or somebody but um but you look at the or the yankees even really because because of their situation but um uh, you look at him as a guy that um but the, the other guys, I mean, you know, maybe the Mets with all their injuries could, yeah. could snatch up Bryant for something. Um, you know, I, I think uh, 
I think a raise might even make sense for another bat. I mean, they got so many prospects, um, they could maybe make sense for another bat. So, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting to look at what, what might happen with, with these guys, but I do expect a couple of them to get traded. I expect a couple of them to be kept by the, by the Cubs and maybe trying to sign to extensions that, you know, I think a lot of people are expecting them all to get traded, but I think a couple of them get the Cubs keep around and try to bring them back after this year. So, yeah, it is going to be interesting about um, which ones they do trade. Cause like you said, they have a lot of trade pieces um, that are going to be free agents this year. One more guy that I wanted to kind of hit on, cause I think this could be a really interesting one if we do see him traded. And, and I think there's a couple places that he could really fit, but that's Joey Gallo. Um, Texas could obviously keep him, but the way he's playing, I think if you are going to ever trade him right now might be the time. And I think a team like the Rays maybe makes sense, a team like the Yankees because they have that obvious need in the outfield, um, and maybe a couple of the NL teams because he's still, you know, he's a really good defensive right fielder, so it's not like you're going to have to DH him. And he's really started figuring out how to hit more consistently. Yeah, Joey Gallo's had a good year. Um, you know, the thing that st- stands out with him is the strikeout rate. That scares anybody. But, um, you know, because he, he could go on a stretch where he's not making enough contact that to get to hit the ball for you know even up you know he's he, he's a guy that could very well for the rest of the season be a, a 180 hitter regardless of how many home runs he's hitting so um but he's a guy who is you know he's definitely made some improvements and um he's having a good year he's got light tower power of course uh plays pretty good defense in the outfield got a great arm so he's definitely valuable he's got another year of control um there's several teams I think make sense for him. Um, and I think it's kind of those fringe contenders like we talked about before that, you know, the Braves will, will need an outfielder to start next year. Um, I think the Braves make sense for him because, you know, they, they're going to need, you know, they got Acuna coming back. But other than that, you don't know about your other two spots. You know, Jock Peterson's on a mutual option. You don't know if he'll be back. Uh, Ozuna with his issues, you don't know if he'll be back. So you can see Gallo end up there. Um, you could maybe see, like like we talked about with the Mariners, they just need offense in general. Uh, the Yankees are another team that are a little bit behind right now, but you know they could bring in Gallo, and they're going to have a spot in the outfield next year. So um, you could definitely see him come in there because he'll have a couple years of control. Um, of course, you know you could also see any of the contenders jump on him. So uh, definitely an interesting guy, um, very polarizing player. Um, but we'll see what happens with him. I think it's going to be very interesting. I don't know if he'll get traded yeah. um, because there's just so many, you know, highly high rated players, high, you know, big names out there this year that, you know, there's some years or maybe even last year where, you know, Joey Gallo might've been the most, the biggest star player moved at the deadline. So he might've gotten a better return, but this year there's a lot of pieces that are, people are looking to move at the deadline and you just don't know, um, I don't know if he'll get moved, but it'll be interesting to find out. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of people we didn't even talk about that or mention oh, yeah. that could have, be you know still impactful players. And the one thing I did want to say on Gallo is that we talked about it a little bit earlier. Team, a, a certain team that likes to trade with control, the Padres could be somebody to watch out for on Gallo. They've yeah. been they've been sneaking around supposedly in all the rumors. He has the control. Don't know where that would fit in the outfield or what they would even trade. But it would be something that, I mean, the Rangers, it, I know it's going to sound crazy, but doesn't the Rangers kind of make sense for what we were hearing a little bit earlier about, hey, a team is willing or the Padres are willing to eat 
or to trade Hosmer, eat some money and trade a, you know, a top four prospect for something. If you could do that for a Gallo, the Rangers get back a top yeah, four prospect. You would need. I feel like you would need a lot more than just that one top five prospect. Maybe I mean maybe you expand if you're taking on. If you're taking, yeah, you would well, need a. Huge well, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that capital. If you're getting Hosmer back, well, that's not a one for one yeah. deal. I'm just saying right, that right, could be right, the framework but... to it. Like they're already talking about, like, hey, Hosmer in a number of top ranked, you know, Padres have a strong system, especially in those top four. If you can get one of those in a Gallo trade and then build a couple of the other pieces up and around it, and your team like the Rangers, who you have a ton of money that you can eat some of that Hosmer contract right now. And you're not going to look to compete. Maybe you can flip him for something else at a lower salary even. I mean, that kind of seems like a win-win deal if I'm the Rangers. Yeah, and it it makes sense. I mean, you do think that – I do think that, you know, that could happen. It's just that they would need to eat – you know, they would need to eat the entire – either the Padres would need to eat a pretty good portion of the contract. Maybe not all of it, but a pretty good portion. Um, or they would have to throw in another top prospect. And I don't know if they're going to want to put throw two top prospects in for Gallo and in Hosmer's contract. But you never know. Uh, we've seen trades like this in the past where uh, a team basically purchases um, a, a prospect by taking on a contract that a team doesn't want. But the Hosmer deal's got a few more years, and it's a it's an albatross of a contract. So. Um, you know, I think a team's going to really need a lot of motivation to take that contract on. But we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. Um, I think that uh, you look at um, you look at this as a you know a, a Gallo as a guy who I think it would be wise for them to trade. But um, you never know with Texas. I mean, they held on to Lance Lynn last year at the deadline for no reason. So mm-hmm. um, you know, you never know with them. But um, one other guy that we probably should talk about. I know we're running a little late on time, but uh, this guy is probably out of all the guys we've talked about, maybe the least likely to get traded, but there have been rumors about it. Um, there's two guys really that, but but one of them I really don't expect. The guy I was thinking of is, is Jose Ramirez. Uh, there's been talk that the that Cleveland might be able to move him, uh, or might be willing to move him. And this is a guy who, uh, you know, multiple or he's been in the MVP conversation for five, six years in a row now. I mean, he would be this would be a superstar move and he's on a really good contract. You would need, you know, this would take a very hefty return, but the Indians are in a situation or the, about to be the guardians are in a situation where, yeah. um, we didn't you, even talk about that. Yeah, we didn't, but, um, they're in a situation where, you know, they're about to go to full fledged rebuild mode. They've traded a lot of their big pieces recently. And, um, I, they're not good enough to, they're good, but they're not good enough to, um, I don't think they're good enough to contend this year and you know they're just going to keep hemorrhaging pieces as long as their payroll is what it is so um, i definitely i think it would be wise for them to kick off their rebuild by getting two or three maybe top prospects for a, a superstar like jose ramirez but um and then and then also that well he's mentioned and we also should mention trey turner with the potential of him getting traded there have been rumors out there i don't really expect him to get traded but you never know. It'll be interesting to see. So, I think, I mean, if Trey Turner were to be traded, I think every team would be lining up. Oh, no doubt. Because um, he is, I think he's one of the true superstar players in the game. And I think he's underrated because of 
being on the nationals and he was always not the best guy you know he's under one he was under juan soto or under bryce harper or under anthony rendon he is a phenomenal player and i i mean i i think if there was rumors about him being traded at this deadline maybe that didn't make sense but there's also rumors that the nationals aren't going to be able to assign him to extension and those talks have kind of failed anyways with what they've started yeah i mean Obviously, now with him getting COVID, I think it makes the trade even more unlikely. But he's definitely a name that in the offseason, you could see a team that doesn't want to jump in the shortstop market this year, um, get Trey Turner on the one-year deal, try to convince him to stay, and then sign him to an extension at that point. Um, it, it's definitely going to be something very interesting, but I do think that he will not be in Washington for the long haul. Yeah, and you've got – this is a case, too, where with, with both of those guys that, you know, your market's going to be shrunk because those are guys who are under control and they're potential cornerstones on a really good team, on a, on a championship-level team. And, you know, the market's going to be a lot bigger in the off season because you got a lot of teams that aren't really in a rush to make any improvements at the deadline because of their position. And, you know, they're going to be wanting to make that move in the off season, maybe to kick off their – building of their roster for, for contending maybe in the, in the future. Um, and, you know, right now I think it's mainly going to be teams looking to buy are mainly going to be, you know, the ones interested and in the market is just smaller, less of a bidding war. So uh, interesting stuff. Um, I definitely think that this is going to be a wild trade deadline this year compared to the last couple. Um, I definitely think you're going to see multiple all-star level players get moved. Uh, maybe even multiple MVPs getting moved from, from pre- previous seasons. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. And I think this trade deadline could change the landscape of what the rest of the season looks like because, you know, for the most part, most of the divisions are pretty wide open right now. And one player uh, of, of the caliber of some of these players that are potentially getting moved could really make the difference in some of these divisions. Uh, you think specifically the NL East? Um, that that's been real close and nobody's really jumped out. Um, you think maybe the NL Central, if, if the Reds or the Brewers add somebody, they could turn from good teams into you know teams that could really compete in the playoffs. Um, you look at the West, that's, you know they could add you know, whichever one of those teams are so close could add the, the big piece maybe. Um, in the AL, you know you look at the AL East. Um, you know if the if the Rays can pull off some of these pieces, they become the favorites there over the Red Sox and the Yankees. Um, you know, I definitely think this is going to be an interesting trade deadline, and it's going to be important trade deadline too, for for the rest of this season. So I'm I'm very excited to see what happens, and I believe the trade deadline is actually on Friday at four o'clock. Yeah. So that's when the um, is it's usually it on the thirty. It is, and it's usually on the thirty first. But really? this year, with it being a Friday, they're wanting to put it on the thirtieth for some reason. I don't know why, but I thought it was at three. Uh. I think it's it might be four Eastern, three Central. I don't know. It's somewhere around there. So, um, uh, so anyways, but I'm not 100 percent sure. It's it, in the it's in the early afternoon. We'll yeah, it, it's gonna be, and like you said, it's gonna be one of the most insane deadlines. I mean, there is still all star caliber players that we didn't talk about um, that could possibly be moved. Yep. So, we'll uh, we'll definitely be having a extended episode next week. Um, talking about you know all the trades that happened, and then I, I doubt we'll have time next week, but maybe in the episode after that, we'll fill you guys in on the uh, on the Cleveland Guardians, that is, yeah. um, and the the name change that the Cleveland Indians have now announced. 
um, starting in 2022. Yeah. So it's an unfortunate name, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll once could, we get to they that point. Be guardians of a three-one lead. Yeah, so. I know. I want. I didn't want to make that joke, but <laughs> we'll uh, we'll definitely hit more on that and, and go over our uh, our obvious disdain and dislike for that name change. So yeah, but thank you guys for tuning into this episode. Um, I know it's a, a kind of a long one and we rambled at times and we're going to probably do that on the next one because it's going to be an insane trade deadline. Like you said, Friday um, at some point in the early afternoon, we'll try and keep up as much as we can on our social media, on our Twitter, especially with all the trades, but it's going to be insanity on that day. So uh, you got anything else that you want to wrap up on? Don't believe so. Uh, just uh, ready for it, to, ready for it to get here and, um, as a Braves fan and the position that they're in of maybe a buyer, maybe a seller, it's a very stressful time. So um, I know there's some people out there that are fans of, you know, maybe the Yankees or the or the uh, Mariners or teams that are kind of in that situation. <laughs> so um, it's going to be really tough. To, um, it's good, it's good, it's a, there's some tough decisions to be made, and I'm excited. That that's what baseball is all about. So Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, everybody.